your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, again, uh, longest uh, psalm in the Bible, longest, the most verses in the Bible, and it's all about the Word of God. We went through verses 1 through 8 last week. We're going to look at the next stanza, verses 9 through 16. These next eight verses, or this stanza, starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, as you can see, Beth. Uh, last week it was Aleph, but uh, again, each stanza starts with the, the, the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, the word Beth also means a house. Herbert Lockyer, in his commentary, said, The underlying thought of the stanza is making our heart a home for the Word of God. The next question is, is it? Is our heart a home for the word of God? Does it find comfort there? Does it find welcome, welcome mat out for the word of God? Is it hidden in our hearts? Paul said in Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ, which is God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of God will transform our lives if we'll let it dwell in in us richly the word dwell it doesn't mean just to 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 live the word dwell is much richer in the greek the word dwell means to feel at home it means to inhabit and it's to dwell there richly the word richly means copiously abundantly that means a bunch let the word of god dwell on our heart a bunch and if we have experienced the grace and the peace of christ then the word of christ will fill at home in our hearts We'll find out just how rich God's word is with spiritual treasures that give value to our lives. What is your heart home to tonight? If people could look into your heart, what would they find living there? Because if your heart isn't the home of the word of God, then your life will always be ruled by sins like lust and greed and pride and covetousness and selfishness and so on. If you try to get rid of these things by yourself, they'll only come back. And you know what? They'll come back in greater numbers. And your second state, the second state of your life will be worse than the first state. Because only God alone can cleanse the heart. And he does it through the instrument of his word, the Bible, the scriptures. Let's look at now verses 9 through 11. And the psalmist says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wonder from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Notice here's why, that I might not sin against you. But here's the the, the interesting thing. Why is it the young man in particular who's called here to cleanse his ways? Old men need it too. You know, but because God rightfully demands the first and the best. In Exodus 22, 29 through 30, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. You see, it, 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 and it's, isn't it the best proof of how the heart separates from God, even at a young age? When young people are blooming, And their mind is fresh and not totally polluted yet by the world. That it should naturally be devoted to the service of sin. 
even at a young age. When, when you give to God first out of what he's allowed you to have shows that he has first priority in your life. Ever since Cain, the first son of Adam, Genesis 8.21 says this, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. From the time we come out of the womb, now we're not old enough yet or, or able to, to commit sin, but man, we, we, when we get to that point where we can start walking around and using our hands and our mouth and our mind, that's when it all begins. The human heart is incurably wicked. Now the flood wiped out the transgressors. But it couldn't change the hearts. In order to live a holy life, we have to give ourselves to God's word, learning it, living it as soon as we can. And the younger, the better. Now, the world says to the young, go out, live it up, have your fun while you're young, get it out of your system. Now, and then, that, you know, after you get old and married, you know, and you have a family, then you can settle down. Then you can start going to church so, so you can have some values and, you know, give your children religion. It's exactly what I used to tell Pastor Raw when he got saved and he came and witnessed to me. Well, Raw, you know, you're married and, and, you know, you have a family and, you know, you need to be right. You need to do them right. You know, you need God in your life, but, you know, I'm still single. I don't have those responsibilities. So, you know, it wasn't for me. But Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 11 verses 9 through 10, and this is really important for young people. He said, rejoice, O young man. And he's talking to the young girls too. Oh, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. He said to rejoice in youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But here it comes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. He says, young people, enjoy your young life. But he says, think about what you're doing. Be careful in what you do. Because one day you will be judged for all of those things. In the New Living Translation, it sounds like this. Young man, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So banish grief and pain. But remember that youth with a whole life before it still faces a threat of meaninglessness. We often hear people say, live it up. And the young people say, YOLO, you know, you only live once. My daughter tells me that all the time when I'm. Want, want me to, when she wants me to venture out. Come on, Dad, you know, YOLO. What's that? Well, you only live once. Okay, I got it. But the Lord's thinking is quite different. He tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. And many of your choices may be irreversible. I knew a lot of young guys that I grew up with, and you know, they made choices, and, and one of them was not to serve the Lord. And some of them are dead now, more than some are dead now, you know, from alcohol and drugs, just a reckless life. Because you see, what you do, what you do in your life and you're young, it does matter. You know, whether it's good or bad, it's going to have an effect on your life. So again, you know, some things that you do will stay with you forever. And again, they're not reversible. Good, God says this, if you're going to live for me, he says, you better start as soon as possible and don't put it off. And he said, preferably when you're very young. 
Because if you don't live for me now, when you're young, you probably won't live for me when you get older either. Which will, which will bring you to a ruined life in the end. We're all free to make our own decisions, whether we're young or old. But then those decisions turn around and make us. We can choose our choices, but we can't choose the consequences of our choices. We can't choose the results. We're not free to change the consequences of our decisions. Now, you don't have to be a brainiac to understand why this is a great idea and a must. As you make decisions in your young age, leading you through the different seasons in your life, you pretty much develop uh, a lot of your adult pattern for life. And you know what? Those patterns are hard to break as you get older because you get set in your ways. And that's why it's really a miracle when an elderly person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ because they've been set in their ways for years. But if we develop good habits when we're young, like reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, enjoying you know, the company of God's people, you know, going to church, you know, rejecting sin, practicing being honest and doing good, these things, will, that, that, they'll go through us, with us through life. And, 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 you know, and, and you know, we make good choices, and when we do, it makes life easier. On the other hand, if we make bad choices, later on, we'll find uh, good choices are harder and harder to make. And the bad habits, nearly impossible to break. And that's like I was talking to my friends that were you know, on drugs and alcohol, and I was in the same, same boat until I got saved. This is such an important point to remember that the Bible gives a lot of examples of young men who decided to live for God early in, in their life. And they were blessed for it. And I hear a lot of young people today, and, and I, I, I wouldn't want to be a young person today with the stuff that goes on in a young person's life. It wasn't like that when I was young. The things that young people today have set before them, it's unimaginable. And I hear it's so hard, and I agree. It's almost impossible. Well, almost. But you know what? We see that that several young people in the Bible did it. We have great examples. We have Daniel and his three friends. They're an example. When they were taken away from their home in Jerusalem and they were taken to Babylon to serve in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar, they were given the best food of Babylon because they were special civil service. But we read in chapter 118 of Daniel, it says that Daniel purposed in his heart. That means Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. This was the first of many tests that came into Daniel's life while he was young during his long stay in Babylon. But it set up a pattern that helped him to stand against the traps that the enemy set for him later on. Now to us, whether he, he would have ate the king's food or drank his wine, it seems like no big deal. But remember, those little things that seem like no big deal become big deals. Can become deal, big deals. It starts with that first little drink. That first pill, that first you know, smoke of, of, of marijuana or whatever it might be. You know, it just starts like that. And you say, well, I, I won't do that anymore. I know that's exactly the, the cycle that I went through. It just started with a little bit here. And uh, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't all it was cracked up to be. And so it's hard, you take a little more and then a little more. And then you start experimenting. And then before you know it, hey, you're out there. And you think you're in control. I remember I used to have a, uh, in the 60s when I was growing up, I used to have this little button on my bulletin board, a little, like, you know, wall board in my bedroom, and it said, pot, hobby, not habit. Oh, I thought I was so cool, you know, and, and pretty much people think like that today. Well, it may not be at the time, 
but it just leads you to do other things and experiment with other things. And then those things, overall, they become a habit. And you just live from weekend to weekend doing the same thing. So again, this was the first of many tests for Daniel in his life and his stay in Babylon. To us, like I said, it may not be a big deal, those little things. It's not really something we, we think is a big deal or make a big deal about. Today, we don't have anything to do with dietetic or nutritional laws like Daniel did. Yet again, it's those little things that develop habits, and it's our habits that decide what path we're going to take and the outcome of our lives. Joseph is another example. He said in Genesis 39.9, when he was being you know, approached, when he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, he said, how then can I... Notice the emphasis on I. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? No, she was wanting to lie with him uh, for, for a long time. And she kept seducing him and seducing him. And, and Joseph was young. He was at the peak of his sexuality. But he said, how can I, a child of God? So you see, this, didn't, this decision didn't just happen at that moment. He had been, been living a life. He had been living a pattern that when it came to this point, he had the power and the strength to say, no matter of fact, he had to run. He had to run out naked. The, pe- the temptation was so strong, but he did the right thing. You see, we have to live in such a way that that, that decision, it, it comes automatically. I don't go, oh man, you know, well, you know, I, you know, nobody's watching. Nobody's here. She sent everybody out. The Potiphar, he's the king's not around. This might be good for my career. You know, hey, this might be wonderful. Immediately, he said, no, this is wickedness. And I'm sinning against God. Young Samuel was another one. Raised by Eli with his two corrupt sons who didn't know the Lord. And yet Samuel heard the call of God in his life. Hannah had dedicated him. His mom dedicated him to the Lord. So these particular instances, these verses are telling us here in in this second stanza, they're telling us that the best way to live for God, the best way possible and establish and keep pure life is to start when you're young. Verses 9 through 11 also tell us what we should do to live for God. It says here, notice, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Well, the answer is given right away. By taking, by taking heed according to your word. Like Joseph did in Egypt. Like Daniel and his friends did in Babylon. Like Samuel did with Eli's sons and all the heathen environment. And Jesus was another one. Jesus did too. All of these young men were surrounded by corruption, but they were never touched by it. You have to cleanse your heart. Solomon said, because out of the heart spring the issues of life. A sick heart, a sick life. A healthy heart, a healthy life. So we need to call out to God like David in Psalm 51.10. Oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast that is a right spirit within me. So we see how precious the word of God is to us as the way of this needed cleansing in our life. When Jesus was establishing himself as the way, the truth, and the life, and he was showing us the high privilege of having a relationship with him, he said this in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of, uh, because of the word which I have spoken to you. So how does a person cleanse his heart? It says in verse 9, by taking heed according to your word. And then verse 10, with my whole heart, I have sought you. The psalmist's heart had gone after God himself. The psalmist not only wanted to obey God's laws, but to commune with God personally. This is the right thing to look for and to go after with the whole heart, not just half-heartedly, but with all of your heart, soul, and mind. 
The surest way of cleansing the way that you live, the way that we live and the way our, our way of life is to seek after God himself and to try to abide in fellowship with him. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, speaks of obedience, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Notice a place in our heart. He'll come and make his home in our heart. If we treasure God's word and we obey it, then the father and the son will share their love with us and make their home in us. The word home is related to mansions. As Jesus said, there's a mansion being prepared for us. And up to the very hour that the psalmist was speaking to his Lord, he had been eager. He had been eager to seek after the Lord. And even when he was weak, if he was weak, he was still pursuing him. If he hadn't sought the Lord, he would have never been so anxious to cleanse his way. So you see, it's good to see how the psalmist's heart turns clearly and directly to God. He had been thinking about an important truth in the verse before, which was verse 9. But here he feels the presence of God so strongly that he speaks to him. And he prays to him like somebody who's so close by. A true heart can't live for very long without the fellowship with God. The psalmist's prayer is based on his life's purpose. He's seeking the Lord. And he prays to the Lord to keep him from going astray or from his search. Lord, keep me on track. Don't let me wander away. And it's by obedience that we follow after God. And that's why he prays here. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Our daily growth in our walk isn't kept by yesterday's grace. Humble and dependent prayer must bring in a fresh daily supply continually like the manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, God said, I want you to come out every day to gather manna. I will give you what you need for the day. He says, don't stockpile it up. Don't try to gather it up for a week. He says, because it'll rot. He wanted that fresh daily relationship and fellowship. That's why the psalmist says here, don't let me wander from your commandments, Lord. And don't be deceived. Don't think you can't wander or drift away from God. According to the scripture, it is possible to drift away. Hebrews 2.1 says that. It warns us not to drift away. 1 Timothy 6.10, it says some have strayed from the faith. And that's saving faith. There's a doctor that says, oh, if you're saved, you can't stray away from God. Well, I'm going to listen to what the Bible says. Some have strayed from the faith. 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.21. Some have strayed concerning the faith. 2 Timothy 2.18. Some have strayed concerning the truth. This is the truth of the word of God. This is saving faith. But Satan would love to make you believe the doctrine. That, oh, if you're saved, you can't stray away. You can't drift. But our hearts are so prone to wandering. And it's easy to do. It doesn't take much for them to wonder, wonder. My attention and my affections are scattered all over the place. You know, have you ever, have you ever, you probably have all experienced it, gone to the beach, you get in the water, you're swimming around or your body's surfing and you're just having a wonderful time. But then you're ready to get out and you get up, you get to shore and you go, where's my stuff? I, I was, you know, you've drifted half a mile down the beach 
Because you weren't fixed on a solid fixture. That's the way it is with the Lord. If you're not fixed on Jesus, let me tell you something. You're going to drift. You're going to continue to drift. And so we can stray from God. So we need to pray constantly. Lord, focus every thought, every desire on you. May you be the only object, notice, in my sight. May you be the only object of my attraction and my attention. May you be my sure foundation, the fixture in my life. May I always be looking unto Jesus. May my eyes forever be on him and only him. Again, what should we do to cleanse our way? Verse 11 said, hide God's word in our heart. Hiding God's word in our heart means not just to read it, but also to study it and even memorize it. One man said the difference between reading and study is like the difference between drifting in a boat and rowing toward a destination. In fact, memorization is exactly what's called for here. Because it's only when the word of God is quickly available to us in our minds that we're able to recall it when we need it and benefit by it we have to have it up here you know it's like putting money into the bank you know you go and you want to draw out a thousand bucks well that's great problem is you've only put in 200 you ain't going to get that thousand when you need it it's the same thing with the word of god i like a computer i have to put it i have to feed my mind with it so when the time comes a problem or whatever it is you know then i can call up the word of god but I'm only, I'm only going to get out of it what I put in. That's why it's important to read and to study and to meditate upon the Word of God. So then when I need it, I can recall it. And this point about memorizing it is closely connected to starting when you're young. Why? Because you don't, get, you don't forget everything when you get older. I forget half of what I think about before I walk 10 steps. You know, that, that's, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, I, I can go upstairs to do something, and by the time I got up there, I'm going, Kathy, what did I come up here for? <laughs> I don't know. Did you tell me? I said, yeah, I told you. Here we go. We, we kind of have a joke. I said, between her and I, we have, have, a, brain, uh, have a whole brain. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know it, it's terrible. But this is the point about memorizing, and it's, again, especially when you're young, because it's easier to memorize and to retain something when a person is young than when they're, they're older. It's, you know, if that, and that being true, that children and other young people can memorize easily, memorization should be emphasized by churches for those young ones. And that's what's neat about the children's ministry. They teach them the word of God. Not games or, 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 or things that, that, you know, are just by the time they're done, it means nothing. They teach them the word of God. Instead of doing this, a lot of teachers, along with society in general, they have, they've been dumbing down Christian education so that today children are barely taught anything in these important early years. And, you know, it was, I went to my granddaughter's you know, Christmas play the other night. And I was just broken hearted, you know, bless the children. They were up there, you know, singing their hearts out and just doing what they were taught to do. They sang songs about lovely Christmas tree branches. They sang songs about the Grinch. They sang, sang songs about the reindeer. And they sang songs about, I think it was Santa Claus or somebody else. There was not one mention of Jesus Christ. Not one mention of what Christmas stands for. 
And no longer is it called Christmas program. It's winter break or winter program. And they're just dumbing down, removing from our young people because that's where it's going to happen. They're the next generation of leaders if God tarries. We have to teach them. We have to let them know what Christmas is all about, who Jesus Christ is. Instead of solid biblical teaching and memorizing scripture and old hymns, they're given meaningless stories, they play trivial games, and they sing ordinary songs. We know that spiritual growth and the work of regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. But if that's what we're seeking for our children... It's going to happen by solid biblical teaching. And it starts with us, the parents. It's not the duty of Sunday school. It's not the duty of Christian education. Solomon said in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. He will have a good foundation to fall back on. Because it's only through the saving knowledge of God in his word that God himself can be found. Jesus said in Luke 12, 11 through 12, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. But again, He will bring it up if I have put it in. This promise of the Holy Spirit's help is no substitute for the lack of preparation. The disciples had three years of teaching. And preparation. So remember, we also have to study God's word. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly teaching, sharing the word of truth. Bible study is essential to spiritual growth. Then, when we've done that, God will bring his word and his truth to our remembrance when we need them the most. And when we need to share them with other people in an effective way, we know how to share the word of God. We know know how to share what we believe in. We need to see the psalmist, psalmist connects the pursuit of God's word to the pursuit of God himself. Notice he says in verse 10, I seek you, God. I'm not just seeking the word of God. I'm seeking you, God, with my whole heart. So he says in verse 9, I live he says, so, so I live according to your word. He's seeking the word of God and the God of the word. Now, why should we study the Bible? Well, first to know God. It's the revelation of God, who he is. But what the psalmist is mainly interested in here, herein is for us to live holy lives. Verse 11 says, so, so that we might not sin against you, God. And I don't have to tell you, you are, you know, we live in a corrupt and sinful world. And getting worse every day. And there's nothing in this world. There's nothing of this world that will help us to live a pure life. It has nothing to offer us. The world offers us all kinds of evil things. That they call good. That, that, that deceptively appear to be good. And, and bring pleasure and fun. So unless a man has learned the wonderful ability of saying no... To those things sooner or later, without a doubt, he'll be in the midst of them and he'll end in ruin. What can keep us from ruin? What can give us the power to say no to temptation? What can help us to live a holy life in the middle of the most wicked and perverse surroundings? Only the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, which we have to study and hide away in our hearts. Here's kind of a short outline to help you remember what we've learned in verse 11. 
The best thing? The Word. Hidden in the best place? My heart. For the best purpose that I might not sin against you. We have to remember that the Bible is God's cleansing agent for sin, and without it, we will never live a holy life. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Here's another important thing for us to learn. We can't understand God's word by ourselves. That's why we need God himself to teach us. There's a connection between God's word and his spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 13, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to enrich us with the treasures of God's word. The Holy Spirit enlightens us with God's truth and enriches us with God's treasures. The word of God is like a rich mine full of gold and silver and precious jewels. And what a joy it is to have the Holy Spirit light up his word. It's a wonderful experience when, when you're reading it and in prayer and the Holy Spirit teaches you something, man. It is so awesome. And even though God has made himself known in, in, you know, in a general way, that is it, it, through creation, if you will, so that people have no excuse if they fail to seek him and thank him for their life and its blessings. And even though God's revealed himself perfectly in Jesus Christ, the only place that we have saving knowledge and the only way that we can that we can know about Jesus Christ is in the Bible. The only way we get to know who God is is through the self-revelation in His written Word. But at the same time, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us if we're going to understand and apply the Bible correctly. 1 John 5, 6, John said, The Spirit bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 15, Paul said this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, that is the man who doesn't know the Lord, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. I can only learn the spiritual things of God through the Spirit of God. I need to be I need to spiritually discern them. I can't learn them on my own. And like I said before, the first time I grabbed the Bible and read it when I went into the service, I shut it after the first chapter. I could not make heads or tails of it because I was a natural man. And even though we have the Bible to read and to study, we need the Holy Spirit to teach us what is, to teach us what is taught in it. And without the Holy Spirit, the Bible can't help us. Why? The Holy Spirit was the author. The person apart from the Holy Spirit cannot understand the word of God. Without the Holy Spirit, it leads to mistakes. It leads to extremes and foolishness. When we study the Bible, we also have to pray. And we have to ask God to be our teacher. It's God himself that we're looking for. And we're looking for his thoughts. We're looking for his ways. Because man, as we've already said, our ways are so different than his and I love Psalm 119, verse 18. We'll get to next time. But I'm going a little ahead of myself because it fits in right here. You know, when we get the Bible and we begin to read, we need to say this prayer. Lord, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. I love that verse. 
Show me, Lord, the wondrous things in your word. Not only that, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have sinful, deceitful hearts that will keep us from hearing and obeying God unless God himself breaks through to teach us. And then the psalmist ends with some useful advice to young people shared from his own life. But this is good advice, not just for young people, but people of all ages. Advice to help us better grasp the scriptures. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, with my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. This is what the psalmist did. He showed how full he was of the word of God and what a, what a holy delight he took in his knowledge of it, of knowing it, because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So he did good with his knowledge. He didn't hide God's word from other people. He didn't just keep it in his mind. He shared it with others. He hid in his heart. He hid God's word in his heart so he could share it with others. And out of the good treasure of his heart, in his heart, he spoke good things to other people. You know, and and as I personally teach the word of God over and over again, it helps me to remember it. And I need all the help I can get, believe me. It becomes embedded in my mind. Some people speak God's truth, but they don't have it in their hearts. Others have it in their hearts, but they're afraid, like we looked at this morning. They're afraid to boldly tell it with, to others. Why? Because they're afraid of losing friends. They're afraid of being ridiculed or embarrassed. They're afraid of being embarrassed or lose friends or family and, and, and make enemies. Paul said in Romans 10, 10, he says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's not enough to believe with your heart unless you confess confess your salvation with your mouth, sharing it with others. Verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. It is normal for a healthy mind, a sound mind, to remember good and pleasant things and to forget the bad things. Now, a person who doesn't do that isn't mentally stable. Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, notice he said, meditate on these things. The Bible even tells us what to think about. And it makes sense that one good way To learn and remember God's word is to rejoice in it. Which is what the psalmist says he's doing here. He's rejoicing in God's word. And that can be done in a lot of ways. It can be and alone in our own personal devotions and publicly. When we get to witness. One really good way is joyfully worshiping the Lord in regular church services with one another. That's what we're here to do. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Meditation isn't something we do a lot of today. Now, and I remember reading some time ago, and I don't remember what book it was, was, but back in the early days of the church, they used to have a meditation room built in the church. Or after the study, they would go out to the meditation room and they'd sit there and they'd meditate upon what they had just learned. 
You know, how many times we rush out to the parking lot and off to lunch, and uh, what, what, what did you learn today? Oh, I learned about Jesus. Yeah, okay. But, you know, did God teach us something, a principle? A, a, did, he, did he speak to me about something in my life that I needed to do? Because we don't, again, this, this meditation isn't something that's done a lot today anymore. You know, meditation is recalling what we've entrusted to memory and then turning it over and over in our minds to get the fullest meanings and applications of truth. Meditation of the Word of God is like digestion uh, of the food that we eat. You see, we're not nourished by the eating of the food. We're nourished by the digesting of it. When it gets, when it gets all whatever it does and it goes and the nutrients go into our system, that's what nurture, uh, nourishes us. That's exactly what, what you, you see the cow, the cow chewing the cud. He'll get a mouthful of grass and he chews and he chews and he chews. And you think, man, that wasn't that much grass that he took in his mouth. He's chewing and he's getting every bit of juice and nourishment out of that grass. And as he swallows it, that's what nourishes his body. That's what meditation is. It's chewing and chewing and chewing on the word of God till I get every, every little nutrient out of it. And then it nourishes me spiritually. That's what meditation is. After, after it's had time to digest and be absorbed into our system, carrying all the vitamins and nutrients into the body, it makes the body grow healthy and strong. We're told in Luke 2.19 that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Remember when the Lord overshadowed her and she was you know, carrying Jesus you know, and she was going to have this baby and, and she was just all blown away. It says she pondered all these things in her heart. She, she's just thought about them, meditated upon them. Lord, what are you doing? In closing, let's look at verse 16. The psalm said, I will delight myself in your statutes. Notice, I will not forget your word. The psalmist is talking here about a determination. He's talking about making a decision. I will not neglect to study my Bible. Which is easy to do. But you see, we have to make that decision. We have to decide we are not going to allow the cares of this world crowd out the study of God's word in my life. Those who are serving him in this father and child relationship, those who are born again and are serving, they're not likely to forget his word. And if we've tasted that the Lord is good, hey, you know, when you've tasted something that is just fabulous, you do not forget that taste. You don't forget that. And if you've tasted that the Lord is good, oh man, we can't forget the sweet flavor of that experience with him. The psalmist says here, I will not forget your word. What he's saying he's going to do is not neglect the Bible. He is determined. He's made up his mind to study it, and nothing's going to keep him from doing that. That's what we need to do. Have you made that determination? I know many times we say, you know what, I'm going to spend more time in the Word of God. But off we go, and, and we just, oh, man, I, I, and you know, what, New Year's coming up, and you know, I am going. You know what, it, it, we'll make those promises forever. We have to stop and make that decision. I'm going to do it, and we need to do it. Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. 
Now, the word left doesn't mean that they, that they just, you know, I don't want nothing to do with anymore. The word left means, uh, it doesn't mean lost. It means they let go. The word means let go. He said, you kind of let me go. Sent me away, gave up. on. It means abandon. They abandoned their love of Jesus. They didn't go off the track on doctrine. They neglected their relationship with Jesus Christ. They abandoned their love for Jesus. The words here, left your first love, suggest it was a willful neglect. I got other things I need to do. Oh, this right now, this is, this is more important than, than my time in the word of God or, or my time in prayer. A willful neglect. Again, the church of Ephesus didn't go off track in their doctrine. They went off track in their personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And Jesus told them, he said, remember from where you have fallen. He says, go back to the place where you left me. or last, go, to, go to the place where you last dropped me off. And he said, repent and do the first works. That means get back to where you were when we had that right on relationship. Go back to the things that you were doing with me in nurturing our relationship. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful psalm and this, again, such a wonderful section, God. And it just, Lord, it just so, words can't describe and and explain, Lord, the beauty of your word, the beauty of its meaning, God. And Father, we pray, God, that we would soak it all in, God. The Lord, we wouldn't come to that place that we would make that determination, Father, that I will not neglect Lord, I will not forget your word. Father, we, God, we just need, we need so much help, Lord. But Father, you've given it to us, Lord. You've made it available to us, God. Lord, we have no excuse. So Father, help us to decide tonight to make that determination that we will not forget your word. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ in an intimate, personal way. You've never received him. Or maybe you've drifted away. You've wandered from that place that you had with him. Whatever it might be. Jesus said, remember, from where you have fallen or from where you have left me, and go back there. And let's start up again. The worship team's going to lead us in a song. A worship song. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we worship, you get up out of your seat. Make your way towards the steps up front. And at the end of the song, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together. <laughs>